0: Hello from Cybrary and Delinea, and welcome to the show. If you've been enjoying the Cyberry podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or a on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at From all of us at Cybrary and Delinea, thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the 401 Access Tonight podcast. I'm Joe Carson, co-host of today's episode, and I'm the Chief Security Scientist and Advisory CISO at Delinea, and I'm pleased to be joined with the awesome Chloe. Uh, so Chloe um, is my co-host for today's episode. Just give us an introduction about yourself, and you sure. can tell us a little bit about today's theme. What, what's the topic for today that we have?
1: All right. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Chloe Masai, and I'm the Chief Impact Officer at Cyberary. And before I joined CyberA, I have been into the world of hacker rights. And if you're wondering what the, what's hacker (laughs) rights? Well, let me tell you, it is talking about how we don't have rights most of the time. And that's what we're going to talk about today is like, how do you go about, you know, protecting yourself when there isn't any legislation out there that really protects you fully? So today we're going to talk about that.
0: Absolutely, and that's that's always a challenge. It's it's always important to know. One of the things I find is, for me, uh, when I'm doing basically, you know, it's always important. I always prefer calling myself ethical hacker because just kind of that just gives the difference in my motives. My motives is always about making the world safer. It's about making it safer for people to do the things they enjoy doing and in living society and having fun and and doing their jobs. So I'm always looking at from doing an ethical perspective. And it's really important when you're doing hacking. It's so important to understand about what your rights are, um, what you can do mm-hmm. legally, and also I travel quite a lot, so I also have to know the laws in different countries and the laws in different societies and the rights and what what I can bring with me and what I can't bring with me. Um, so it's really important to understand about kind of how far you can go, where's that line, um, and how to make sure that you you know what how you stay protected. And also even not only about even the rights, but also how I make sure that I'm staying safe as well. Uh, Because when you're doing ethical hacking, you also do become a target as well. So it's also important to understand about what things I do. Uh, So, Chloe, just interested in anything that comes to your mind when it comes to these areas, especially when it comes to the right side of
1: yeah so i mean so every country pretty much has anti hacking laws and then you have copyright laws and you might be like well what does that have anything to do with each other they there's a there's a chilling effect basically there so basically anti hacking laws is used if you are Using an application differently than, you know, what you're supposed to, that you didn't follow the guidelines. Um, But a lot of times the anti-hacking laws are actually applied to employees at tech companies. We see it all the time where they have access to a certain application, but they use it for a different purpose. And thus the company goes after them for using it for a different purpose. And so the thing to note is that you have also the copyright laws and those basically say that you cannot change what you purchase. So say, for example, um, you buy a car and you want to fix your car yourself, but the thing is that the copyright laws prohibit you from doing that. And so even though you own that vehicle, you don't technically own the rights of changing or modifying your vehicle. And because of that, that's where hackers have a hard time of you know being safe. So that's one of the things I always try to tell people. And then if you're going to bug Betty, for example, or vulnerability disclosure policies, you know, it's to know what is in scope, what's not in scope. And then Mm -hmm. even if you are staying within scope to keep communication written and keep track of all that in case that they were to go after you. Most of the time in the U.S. itself, things have changed and has gotten much better Mm -hmm. when it comes to anti-hacking laws. So... We don't really see any cases of federal um, going after the hackers in the community um, that were you know, trying to share a vulnerability that they found and they didn't exploit or anything like that. So they did mm. it in an ethical way, they say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we do see it happening quite a bit in local areas, so like your county, your city mm-hmm. and, those, and, and companies. They use most of the time for that. And so that's why we're kind of where we are today, where we don't really have protections as security researchers at all, because it's very hard to change that law because it's used so much by major tech companies that have lobbied <laughs> so much to keep that law in place still to this day.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the most recent famous one, I think I always remember, it was on the, the social media kind of... Uh, trending was the famous F11 um, scenario, and I think that's that's a scenario where you know, I think pe- sometimes people don't understand that that's built-in functionality in order to look at basically the source code of a website. And if you know the uh, developer creator of that website has made data available within the HTML source code, it's it's publicly available. It's not you know F11 on a basically a browser. Is typically there for troubleshooting and look at the source code and something that's publicly available. So sometimes I think you know misunderstanding what hacking uh, you know and 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 built-in functionality. Sometimes I, I think you, you get a lot of cases where some companies don't understand what it is, or yes. they don't understand you know um, it, basically what they've done misconfigured. If, if it was a weave, I think that even it goes back to the original weave one. So Weave was basically a well-known internet troll, who basically I can't remember which uh, telco company, um, but simply he just found that you know their website uh, by changing the number at the end of the URL basically unveiled another personal uh, person's account, and he went through basically and of course the problem is, is that when you enumerate that, you know I, I've always kind of when you're when you're creating a new set of data. That's something that you always have to be careful with. And I think what we've ended up doing was he copied that, he enumerated the data and then uh, made it available to a journalist. And what you've done is that uh, you've created a new data set. And I've also been in the scenario, I get my like kind of hand slept one time by Europol. Uh, when I basically uh, created two breach databases and created a linked, a link between the two, an index. And that's where you're starting to go over the line of legal boundaries, because in Europol's eyes, I was creating a new breach by combining two data breaches together, and that's something you always have to be careful with. Is what you have to really understand, kind of where your limits are, and that's what you're. You know, when you're talking about you know going into bug bounties and understanding the scope, it's so critical. I've even seen situations where uh, you're given a set of IP addresses for a pen test. And all of a sudden, you go, and it's so important that you enumerate those IP address ranges, who owns them. And I I can't kind of say this enough, is that don't just double check, but triple check. Uh, Because I've seen cases where all of a sudden, you might be giving a set of IP addresses, and a few of those IP addresses may not be in ownership of the company. It might be cloud services. And that, that sets a whole new rights issue. Um, If you all of a sudden, you know, from doing something that was scoped, that was on premise, and they accidentally give you IP addresses, which are cloud based, and that might be AWS, it might be Azure, it might be Google Cloud, and all of a sudden, you might be targeting uh, something that might be shared services, where that company that has given you permission has no accountability, no permission to give you the ability to do a pen test against those IP ranges. So I can't emphasize the importance of double checking, triple checking everything, um, to make sure that when you're in scope, that you know that you really do understand that you are in scope, especially when it gets into those things. So um, I think it's it's one. The good thing is there was a law that was recently changed. I can't recall the the name of the law, but um, it was a federal law that uh, was about the computer misuse, and CFA. it gets down to yeah, it would get down to about the motive behind your intentions mm-hmm. but again that's very up for debate it's it's, it's not oh. it's it's a little it makes it a little bit flexible in regards to that your motives your intended motives were for good reasons um but it's still not like you know it's not a catch-all for for ethical hackers um so you you really always have to make sure that whenever you're going down if you've given something um, of a bug bounty or something of a pen test or, you know, a red teaming activity um, that it's always important to understand, get down to the fine detail, understand of what scope that you have. Make sure that you verify that that is the intended targets and there's no typos. I've seen typos also causing lots of issues. Um, cloud services, shared services. Um, so it's really important to make sure that you double check and verify that what's what you're given is correct and accurate
1: and keep <laughs> don't, a record. don't
0: assume
1: you want to keep a record like one the, the the one case i always bring up is the dji case yep. so basically uh researchers that came across dji they launched their own bug bounty program and they state what's in scope what's out of scope but they sent an email to confirm having written you know communication and in the rent in communication it shared mm-hmm. yes those these are the following things that are in scope. So they submitted a bug. And then when it came to a payout of 30K, uh, one of them walked away from it because the contract itself did not apply any, you know, support and protection for himself. And so he walked away, not taking the 30K. And what happened was that DJI freaked out. They thought that this was going to become a PR situation. Mm-hmm. So internally, they were having communications in the email chain that they were communicating him with. So he was able to see internal communication saying, this person is a threat. We need to go after him. And he just kept silent. Mm-hmm. And then he gets a notice saying that he violated the CFA, the Computer Fraud and Abuse yeah. Act, even though he stayed within scope and double-checked and everything like that. So what he did was that he published a blog which had all the written communication, also screenshots of the internal communications that they forgot to note that they are sending it to him directly at the same time. (laughs) And he got out of it. But not everyone is very lucky in those cases. So it's one of those things like, even if it says within scope, double check before you submit any bugs, and they don't have vulnerability disclosure policies, or a bug bounty program, Mm -hmm. I highly recommend you not submitting bugs to them if you can. Instead, go to someone that you know that may work at that security team to find Mm -hmm. out what would be the way of processing this information. Because what I've seen sometimes is hackers in the community don't know the the right way of communicating that they found something. So they'll publicly tweet something, or they will publicly post something on Facebook or LinkedIn, tagging the company saying, I found this vulnerability, please contact me. (laughs) <laughs> as a way to get them to get in touch with them because they don't have vulnerability disclosure policies. Yeah. And if you don't have EDP and you don't have your email address of who to contact, yeah, this is a way how people will do it. Um, it's not the best way of going forward. The other one is that usually people will DM these companies, but you know, who owns those Twitter accounts, that Facebook account, that LinkedIn account for that company, marketing, you think Might marketing <laughs> is going <gonna laughs> to do anything with that? For-
0: Probably a no. PR company as well. Yeah. Just, that, that might be third party. It might right, even not and it be could be. People. And yeah. so
1: then they're like, oh, yeah. we have a situation here. They escalated to a legal team mm-hmm. or PR team. And what do you think they're going to do? They're going to find any way to squash you. So, yeah. I mean, it's such a maze. And I honestly believe that every single company at this time should have vulnerability disclosure policies that are very easy to understand mm-hmm not where you're signing your your life and your rights because it's 50 pages long. I mean, just like straightforward. This is what's in scope and everything that's not Mm -hmm. here is out of scope. Third parties, contact the third party. Don't contact us about it.
0: And the the thing, so one of the challenges I've got is that a lot of my past is the NDAs I've had to sign as well. And that for me, I I mean, I've signed away 10 years of my life in NDAs. that's, and, and there's also lifetime NDAs. I think the lifetime NDAs are usually 20 to 25-year terms. But when you sign NDAs, you really have to understand about what you're putting yourself into uh, and the restrictions, especially when you're getting into vulnerability disclosure or you're revealing uh, a vulnerability or you know CVs and so forth. You want to make sure that when you're getting into NDAs, you want to make sure what that boundaries are, um, what those limitations are, what the lengths and terms are. Um, because when you're getting into a lot of legal talk, it's always important to make sure you actually get what, what that means in, in, in real English and real language and real understanding, because um, a lot of lawyers will have up for interpretation when they put things in, 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 in legal frameworks. So it's really important when you're getting into bug bounties and you're doing vulnerable disclosures and you're doing ethical hacking is that those, those NDAs have to be simplified as much as possible. Um, and make sure that you all always have some additional oversight into what what you can do going forward. I've seen NDAs in uh, bug bounties, these, which means that you cannot go and work for uh, or do penetration testing against like companies um, uh, for competitive reasons, which is like why um, are there those restrictions in place? So, I think it's also really important to understand when you're getting into those, the NDAs uh, and have, have simplify them as much as possible. Um, you don't want to get in a situation where I had, you know, 10, ten year NDAs. Um, yeah. Ideally they should be, you know, for the term until the vulnerability is disclosed um, and then the NDA is kind of, you know, done. Um, or um, I've had, to, were basically some restrictions because that even though the organization that I discovered a vulnerability for, That um, they have resolved, but there's other companies that have yet to resolve it as well. That are using the same uh, technology and same uh, 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 hardware. So you get into situations as well that sometimes they do go longer than the contract that you're working with directly, just because there's other major organizations that may have not, you know, fixed the vulnerability themselves. They may take much longer. So it's also really understand the terms as well. I, I think that I. You know, I, I probably wish I knew more when I started off doing this earlier and got better. Um, NDAs in place, um, you know, just because of you know the, the length of time that I, you know, I I, I wish it were shorter. To be honest,
1: yeah, I think like most of the time it's about ninety days. Like you Correct. cannot from a vulnerability you know,
0: disclosure. Yeah, once yeah. you discover to to making it public, um, but, but there depending on the severity. Yeah, depending on the severity, mm-hmm. I, I always understand that, you know, for me, because I've been, I've been, uh, my background was in backup and recovery and patch management. That's where I spent a lot of my early days in my career was, was patching systems, uh, things like Stuxnet vulnerabilities, the patches, um, you know, at the SB um, Eternal Blue patches, all of that was my background in understanding about what the vulnerabilities are and the patch management processes and, and updating and, and, and you know, securing systems and then the backup recovery process. So I do understand that not every vulnerability is equal and that not every, you know, I've worked with maritime time companies and critical infrastructure to power stations and water supply, and, and you just can't patch those systems easily. So you have to, depending on on what is the severity of the, the the vulnerability and also the time that it takes to update and patch those environments, you have to take those into effect. Um, so 90 days is the kind of the ballpark Figure, you know, that's what ideally you want to be at, Um, but depending on the environment and infrastructure and the how hard it is to patch those systems, you also do have to take those into effect. So I've seen variations from the ninety days to even several years, just because it's not just a software problem; it's also a hardware problem, and to replace the hardware, somewhat, you know, in a power station can take some time. Um, and a ship, you know, it, it, to take a ship out of uh, operations is, is very significant uh, financial cost. So so I do understand it from my side. Yeah, I, I'm just not working in software and sometimes it's a lot of critical infrastructure. So therefore, you do have to be flexible in, in the criticality and the impact and the difficulty in patching um, in those scenarios as well.
1: Yeah, exactly we just personally convince like most of the fortune 200 500 companies yep. at this time because majority of them still don't have vulnerability disclosure policies. So until then we have a problem because yep. we have to get that fixed so then we can at least have some sort of protection. I mean there's a reason why I think it, the statistic is one out of four of security researchers will not you know report a vulnerability that they find if they don't have a vulnerability disclosure policies. And so if you think about it that way, I just think of all the vulnerabilities out there that are being used at this time by an attacker because companies are scared to have vulnerability disclosure policies because they're like, well, we're opening a door for hackers to hack on us or something like that which is so yeah. ridiculous because what we're doing in the first place is when we go to your website, we're already looking at the vulnerabilities that you already have. <laughs> I mean, you can even say it or you don't say it. If anything though, how I see it is that it's better to have something set up where mm. you set the game, the rules of, you want to Absolutely. participate, here you go, this is how you do it because it's gonna help you when it comes to risk, security, and PR purposes but also because everyone's on the same page of what's okay, what's not okay. We and don't you have that. Up, it's going to be a nightmare yeah. for you. You also
0: open yeah. up to the right people as well that you want to be doing it as well. You also set even the regions and the boundaries and the financial cost and impact. So you're absolutely, you know, Chloe, That's I think that's one of the most important things here is that for organizations to, to have their own disclosure program and their own, you know, pen testing rules and get to be able to select and find the scope and make sure they're protecting themselves at the same time. And it's also it's a willingness to work with the you know the, the hacking community as well. I think it's always important because when we talk you know I always hate the media portray hacking in a negative sense. And I, I think mm-hmm. that's something and we don't do ourselves any justice as well. When when we go to these big expos we we, we use fear and fuds in order to promote, uh, you know, security solutions. I always think we we have to change it into showing how we enable and how we empower and how we, we're, we're, we're the safety with the seatbelt, he (laughs) saves lives. That's what we should be. You know, we should be promoting that perspective. you know, the, the positive side of things versus that, you know, if you don't wear a seatbelt, you're going to die versus that. If you wear a seatbelt, we're going to save your life. I think the narrative there is so important and we have to get better at that. Um, but when it gets into it. I think this really is important to understand that it gives companies the opportunity to to work with the community yeah. um, in a positive way. Most hackers are good hackers. They're using their skills for good. They're here to to in a positive way. They want to make a positive impact. Um, at the same time, they they want to make money. They want, you know they have to put food on the table. They have to pay their bills, uh, and they want to live life. Um, so of course, at the end of the day, you want to be paid. I remember, I, I never forget. It was years ago, maybe about eight years ago, um, before you know all the bug bounties and you know patent, pen testing became something of um, kind of you know something that you would get as a service. I remember I was sitting. It was uh, it was at a big event, and we had the hackers at one side and we had law enforcement the other side. And I always regret, I always remember after we had the discussion you know, in the, in the speaker room and chatting with law enforcement and so forth. And we had the discussion, I was like, I wish we had big corporations at the same table yeah. in this panel, because that would have been so much fun. I would love to see a panel that has law enforcement, that has hackers and corporations all around the one panel and having a discussion into how they can work better together. Because ultimately what I remember when I was on the panel session and we're talking about when you find something that how do you disclose it, you know, without all of a sudden turning a target on yourself and the law enforcement, they were like, well, do it anonymously. You know, like what you spent six months researching, pulling things apart, understanding how it works. You find something that has a big impact and now you don't want to be rewarded for it. All, all the hackers want to do is get acknowledged for their knowledge and intelligence and their hard work and, the effort that they put in Uh, and it's and it's a lot of costs it's a lot of personal costs that they put into it and you want to be rewarded for that whether it's financial or just recognition in the industry um and law enforcement like oh yeah but you know you're kind of like you're in this gray area you know the corporations could target you could come back because you're abusing their user license agreement you're abusing the uh, abusing the way the software is intended to be you're abusing the acceptable use policy that they put on their website. Um, so it's really important to make sure that you know the, the intentions and motives are there, the right motives. Uh, sometimes their methods and techniques of g- going around it may not comply with the organization that's uh, the target. Uh, but it's important to make sure that there's a level playing field. And I, I just I wish I could do that panel again today. I would love to come back oh, um, there. It was so much it was so much fun the discussion for the audience in the room being a fly on the wall, I think that was probably I think for one of the funnest you know for for the audience to see the communication and, and, and the challenges that you face when you're doing this and how important it is to make sure you know that there is the the rules in place. And you understand the rules and you adhere to the rules so um you're so absolutely right you know the bug bounties and disclosure you know and it's having having a front door i would say having a front door to the hacking community is better than having no door at all yeah. because it allows you to have at least a discussion and have yeah. have a, a way of moving forward together
1: i just think of like you're not ever going to have an attacker knock on your door like hey i found a vulnerability <laughs> here it's like They're going to do, when they find that vulnerability, they're going to go running with that vulnerability. That is what they do. So, I mean, if you have any hackers that reach out and like, hey, I think I found something here. (laughs) That's someone who's actually doing you a favor, not coming after you. Because if they're coming after you, you would know. There's a huge difference on how they communicate.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) The motive motive is very different, intentional. You know, when a, a malicious attacker finds a vulnerability. They're gonna to look to gain access. They're gonna to look to steal your data. They're gonna to look to financially benefit from, you know, either business email compromise, invoice fraud, stealing they're stealing data, you know, hmm. malware, blackmailing, blackmail, yeah. oh, all
1: that y- stuff. Y- y- so y- it's everything. <laughs> so the only message you're going to get from them is like, "Hey, pay me."
0: Yes, that's <laughs> why, <laughs>
1: That's when you know you have an attack. And it's
0: not. It's not ninety days.
1: <laughs> no, it's not ninety days. And they will publicly state whatever they want. They can do whatever they want because they're not. There's a reason why they're doing it. It's a different intention. It's an intention of getting money for yeah. whatever reason. Or it's literally a blackmail situation, or it can be that you know they're a nation state mm-hmm. actor and they're trying to get into your records for reasons, for intel. Right. There's so many different reasons why people come after you, Absolutely. but at the end of the day, so that's why we need to build those bridges.
0: Yeah, so one of my methods, anyway, when I got into you know early years ago into the engagements, um, I saw I have I had my own NDAs that I would prefer to get you know people to sign. Uh, So at least I had a framework of negotiation. Um, I always, you know, I made sure that uh, everything that I did, you know, that I used was sanitized and cleaned. You, you, reusing equipment is always a a danger that um, you might overlap, you know, data uh, incorrectly. So using, making sure your lab environment is very sanitized. I have a set of, you know, virtual environments that I use as a base, but every single time, I always set up with a new uh, baseline, um, a new set of you know sanitized disks. I take multiple backups of where my starting point is and, of course, basically hash those into a blockchain for non-impediation so no one can come back later and say, you changed or modified it. So that's just my starting point. Um, into that, then I basically set up a whole new you know password manager, um, basically a, a new vault just for that engagement for all the credentials you're going to use, all the accounts you're going to set up. Um, it's so important to make sure that you have, you know, very distinct uh, instances of, you know, which engagement you're working with. Cause you know, a lot of pen testers, they, they work in multiple uh, uh, companies um, at a time. A lot of hackers are doing multiple research at a time. So it's always make sure that you have those segmented and clean and different networks um, and so forth. Um, my backup process is ridiculous. I, I have, I, I, you know, I, I take multiple backups and um, I store uh, in different locations just in case of, you know, you ever have any uh, physical damage. So my backup process is just ridiculous. Um, just to make sure that if anything does happen, at least I've got myself and everything intact and in integrity. Um, the password process that I have to make sure, because when you get into a lot of, um, it's really important for ethical actors as well as your are is that what you don't want to do is, Take your um, your pen test and create a vulnerability by you know creating a a, a backdoor persistent backdoor that has a weak credential. Um, you want to make sure that as you're going through this process as well, you're adhering to making sure that you're maintaining a, at least a high level of security, especially when you're getting access or you're um, and also you know where you're doing it across. I remember situations where I was doing a penetration test. And I was I was overseeing the red team, so I, I was the recon. So my a lot of my role and more my kind of recent times has been doing reconnaissance. I I do the planning. I look at the organization. I gather all the different uh, about the organizational structure, about what technology they're using, about what software. Looking at the job descriptions to see what they're hiring for. Um, you know what operating systems they use. What their security team, you know, a lot of the job description security team is great because it shows you what, you know, what defenses are in place, you know, so it gives you an idea of what you need to get bypassed. Um, so for me, kind of building that reconnaissance and then the red team goes and does the, the actual, you know, the active uh, pen test. Um, I remember situations where I had to stop engagement because um, cross border. I was in a different country at the time. And all of a sudden, I had to disengage. Uh, I could communicate uh, with a team, but we weren't allowed to do data sharing uh, just because you were then working across the border. I remember a situation as well where there was a large shipping company. Um, this, this was a fun one. Um, I was doing the review of the pen test. So after the pen test was done, I got. I was also, it's good to make sure that you have somebody who's overseeing your work as well. So having a, another third party that's over, overseeing, it's, the real purpose is to call it bullshit, is make sure that everything's been done properly. And I remember a situation with a, a shipping company, a very large shipping company, that um, the location of the ship where they were going to do the penetration tests was not in the location where they were p- thinking that it was going to be. It was meant to be originally in the Mediterranean Sea. And the team was all prepared. They had all their stuff. And they're just waiting for which, the name of the ship and when they could go. And all of a sudden, that the location changed, and it was actually in the South China Sea, which meant in order to get onto the vessel, they actually had to go through China. And they're looking at all of their equipment. They're just like, we can't take half of this stuff with us because of export controls compliance. They could not get through uh, customs in China uh, with half the stuff they were planning to do. So you also, you know, it's so important to understand the laws, the rules, especially you know when you're traveling. Um, especially, you know, different countries, you know, you might be working with a company that might be headquartered in the U S but all of a sudden the scope is in in a different region and you have to understand about the rules there. So it's so important to make sure, and also have, you know, somebody who can give you oversight as well, make sure you've got another person who can help you oversee to make sure that you have a a second set of eyes on everything you're doing, to make sure they can call up when something might be, you know, you might be getting into a gray area. Uh, because that that's the difference between us, you know, and the malicious attackers is we tried our best to adhere to the law. Um, we make sure that we always stay on the good side. Uh, but even when we make mistakes, it's important to understand, I think this goes back, it's the motives. Our motives is good intentions your point. You know, when we when we're contacting organizations, it's to help them. <laughs> it's to help them and their customers. Um, not to not to profit from their, you know, um, kind of mistakes or, 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 you know, uh, misjudgments.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, one of the cases that always comes to mind also is the coal fire one. Because oh, coal they, fire, you need to know of oh, like the absolutely. state, loved, the county, I, the city laws. <laughs> these are things you're going to have to know, too. So depending on who is the person who's oh. enforcing these things, you've got to know.
0: That's one of my favorite. Um, that's one of my favorite sessions of all time. I, I, I never <laughs> ever get listening to them doing the talk about you know they, they how they get arrested and stuff. And you and you have to be careful as well yeah. because, you know, <laughs> law enforcement are not they're not the let's say they're um, just
1: following orders or they're doing yeah. their own orders. Like <laughs>
0: it can be scary. Um, it's
1: really scary. Um, yeah. and these are people that so it was basically two employees at Coal Fire um that participated in something where coal fire was hired to do, which was Correct. to do penetration testing at a facility that happens to be a courthouse. Um, and so the thing is is that even though they had the paperwork that they were doing something legal, that they were hired to do this, um, it did not give them full protection because mm-hmm. It depends on who's coming to enforce that law. So if you have someone who is enforcing the law by state, county, or city, but you have paperwork that's for the county, state, or city, and they don't match, you're going to have a hard time. And so this is even when you're hired by a company to be a security researcher, you still have to worry about your own safety and your own security concerns yourself. So I always say to people, it's like, you're not going to know all the answers. But one of the things to think about is that make sure your paperwork for the company that hires you to do these things has protection for you and right. making sure that you also have an attorney for yourself in case in these cases do end up in a situation.
0: Absolutely. And it, that, that specific, the coal fire one, I was, it was the courthouse because it was uh, the building itself was leased and it wasn't owned by the courthouse. It was by the, the local county. And it was the county police. I think it was the county police that turned up and arrested them. Um, so they actually went to, went to jail. Um, of course, after going back and forward, uh, you know, eventually they did get out. Um, but in those moments, it can be scary. Even, even I remember um, John Strand's talks about, you know, when they're going into facilities. Because physical security uh, can be very dangerous. Um, especially when you're coming up against maybe even third-party hired armed guards. Uh, for facilities as well, so you can get into situations where you know it can be very, very you know tricky, um, and you know high risk to life as well if they just make the wrong mistake. Um, so I think it's really important to understand absolutely what, what what your liabilities are and what you're protecting. And that's why one of the things I mentioned that you know earlier when we talked about the scope of you know IP address ranges on premise and cloud, it's again going into the same thing when you get talking about physical pen testing is that. Um, you know you might be dealing with an organization that's leasing the building but they don't own it um, and therefore the legal boundaries does change um, and, you know and it goes into the contracts i remember even um, similar thing going back uh, one of the fun fun pen tests was with the ship management company and it was one of the first ones i remember that the team i had on the red team there was a person that was basically they were doing their master's course and their thesis was on um, RFID and Wi-Fi hacking. And the thesis, one of the things, I was actually helping mentoring the, the, the person and they were doing, it was uh, drone hacking. So they were looking at the risks of commercial drones. And when they were doing the ship management company, they thought, oh, okay, he built this prototype of a bunch of uh, Raspberry Pis with SDR antennas. And it basically was, it was just a radio catcher. You ever see the guy, similar to the guy you see at DEF CON, the Cactus? Yeah.
1: Uh,
0: Mr. Cactus. um, I can't remember if it's John, or I always forget his his name. Um, But the Mr. Cactus guy, who has all the pineapples and catches all the the radio frequencies. Um, It was very similar, only with Raspberry Pis, and uh, caught all the frequencies. At that point in time, we found it was a vulnerability in a uh, smart uh, LED, a smart light bulb that they were using. But they, we got into a challenge as well during that pen test. The problem was, again, was that they uh, didn't own the building. It was actually another company. They were leasing it, and that's all Was a you get into those challenges. Lucky enough, there was no legal issues or laws broken because there was the contracts were, were properly done. But you have to be careful because you, you might get into situations where there's multiple multiple parties that you've only got a contract with one. Um, you might always make sure you got some type of protection there.
1: Exactly.
0: So it's so important. I think, I mean, I, I can't emphasize, I, I don't know about the US. I, I do know that each state, I know there's the federal laws, the computer uh, mm-hmm. misuse act, but some states might have different uh, yes. interpretations of those. Um, so it's always understand when you're crossing state lines as well into kind of what you're covered. I mean, it's always, I think. The problem is, I think we really need to make sure that, from a government perspective, I think that there has to be some type of protection in place uh, for those, especially when the motive is good. Um, I always look at some of the, you know, um, some of the, some of the great ethical hackers out there that you know, it's just stepped over the line. You know, the likes the Chris Roberts and the, and mm-hmm. the whole uh, United Airlines thing. Yes, you get into the Marcus Hutchins, who you know were. He Okay, he did a bad thing, but also a good thing. <laughs> so does it outweigh um, the yeah. bad thing that you do? So
1: Eris Schwartz.
0: Aaron Schwartz. That was,
1: you know, <laughs> I mean, that's the whole thing is making the case of good intention. Yeah. I mean, I think that's always the hardest thing because you can never be in someone's head. So you never really know if they're putting up a show or if they actually were doing yeah. something for malicious or good reasons. And until we have something that where we can figure out that, it's always kind of like a legal game of, mm-hmm. can we, is this person masking or are they being sincere? And so yeah. I think that's kind of how it is at the end of the day is knowing that it's a human situation, a human problem. But it is something that we can do better on if we start working together on doing it better.
0: Absolutely. And it's getting more difficult now as well. Um, I remember there was a couple of ones a few years ago. The one in the power station was, was tricky. Um, because the, so the issue was that, and this goes to any type of pen test today, um, you have to really understand the contracts that they have, because when you're buying things today, so if you even buy a TV, right. And you bought the hardware and you install it in your office and that TV is installed in your office that you might have, uh, agreed a contract with a service. And that you've you that contract with that TV is now under a different service contract, so you own the physical hardware, but the software and the data that's been generated is under a completely different contract. And this gets into a situation where I remember at the part that uh, Pentest Power Station, that the engines the the actual engines themselves were owned by the power station, but the data being generated was not. So, doing a penetration test on the actual physical engine itself, you would actually get into a situation where you're now having to deal with a third party as well, and this gets into whether it being cars today, um, you know, even uh, smart homes, uh, security systems, um, uh, you know, TVs, projectors, any sensors that you might think that you actually own it because you own the physical hardware itself. But the contract that you signed up when you got it is actually saying that you're actually handing over, and it's part of a service agreement, not part of the actually hardware purchase. And it's so important to make sure that when you're getting into the situation today, that you actually read the difference into you know whether you're looking at the hardware or there's actually an ex- existing service agreement. Uh, because in TVs, you got ulis. Um, in order, if you're using a service, like let's say um, you use a TV as a uh, uh, initial access because it's got VNC enabled on the TV. Um, you have to check and make sure what service agreement you've actually in place for that TV. And so it gets so tricky today, especially with, you know, hardware versus this, the service level agreements, especially with manufacturers. Um, so I think it's, that's a tricky area, um, that is, you know, it, that's, it's a bit challenging, especially that data is going across countries um so yeah it's always important that's that's one thing that i've seen is the contracts are getting much more complicated that there's no very clear line into ho- who owns what um especially when you're getting the pen testing
1: yeah that whole terms and conditions you know yes. like okay let's go read that apple 50 page thing where it's basically <laughs> you know they own oh my life or my soul <laughs> um, I mean, that's yeah. the reality of it, right? We don't really look at it. We just sign in and move on because we don't have time to read 50 pages.
0: Yeah, and I love I the, the, EULA, the, the EULA one where they actually had at the end of the EULA that if you actually uh, call this number, you'll get, I think it was like a thousand bucks or something. I oh. thought that was brilliant because no one ever called the number <laughs> because no one ever read the EULA to right to the end.
1: And that so. that's where we are in society. It's like, oh, if everyone else is signing it, okay, we're good. But that's the reality. Is that you know, none of us are really attorneys doing this episode. Yeah. By the way, everyone, so please don't take our ourselves as legal advice. Yeah, 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 but, this is not I legal mean, advice.
0: This is look, just to make sure that what you, you should you know what to look for it.
1: read these things before you sign, um, and you know, also make sure you know someone who can be a contract lawyer who can review your stuff for you. I mean, the contracts are written for other attorneys, not for the average person. So just note that they are, you know, it might be good to know someone like that. Um, And then if you're looking into like, well, how do I even go about creating vulnerability disclosure policies for my company? I do recommend checking out disclose.io. It is a great place to get those policies that you can, uh, you know, copy and paste, put it for your own, but also you can have your legal team review it ahead of time. So that's a good way to get started. And I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, we have to have bridges in this community. Otherwise, things are gonna stay insecure. And why not just use people from all (laughs) different walks of life to find the vulnerabilities that your security team can't? And that's okay, that's the reality. Diverse Mm -hmm. eyes are gonna find something different. That's why we we need to have bridges to keep each other safe.
0: Absolutely, because you'd never be an expert in everything. And your organization, your focus, what your your team, security team, is meant to understand is your business and how your business functions. And they're not going to be the security experts in everything. And that's why it's important to surround yourself. That's what I do is I surround myself with really intelligent people in certain areas and expertise in, in things that I don't know. And I go to them and ask for them for help. And that's what the bug bounty community is all about. That's what Disclosure, uh, uh, was it, uh, you know, uh, was it uh, programs are all about is to make sure you get the people with specialized skills in those areas that can help you make sure you do the right thing and secure as best you can. Um, So it's all about working together. And I think that's one of the important things I think is that we have to build those bridges. We have to have the community working together um, and we have to show that the motive is there and the organizations need to make sure that they have front doors uh, into, you know, uh, and, and reach out to organizations that have them. Maybe you you, you you don't know, you you don't want to do it alone. And there's other organizations that you've seen have created these bug bounty programs and go and see how it works for them. And if you're a hacker and you also want to learn, there's a lot of bug bounty platforms and, and out there that can give you mentoring and how to do it right. Um, so definitely, you know, you know, get, look at different, um, and there's great mentors out there as well. I think, you know, um, Stoke has some amazing videos, uh, which we had in the episode before about uh, doing bounty programs in and communities and how he got into it. Um, so definitely look for the people who's done it. Get advice from them if you're a hacker. Um, if you're an organization, you want to make sure you have a good front door and play. You know, set the rules yourself. Then look for other organizations that have good uh, um, kind of was it uh, programs in place. I think that's you know that's how we bridge the gaps. That's how we all make the world a safer place is by making sure we have a good way. And I think. What what's important here, Chloe, as well. It's foremost. It's a fundamental way to communicate and get on the same page. It's all about communication. That's ultimately what the you know the programs there for is to create a, a means of communication and boundaries. Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> what what what's 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 okay and what's not okay, uh, and that's definitely that's you know that's how we we, we control it, and that's how yep. we make sure we you know it becomes regulated. And I would definitely love, you know, a law to to provide some protection. I think EFF is also the um, a great, you know, they're there to provide some protection. Um, so it's always important, you know. I think they're doing a great thing out there. So it's always make sure give them a shout out.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then, like for anyone who is on marketing teams or PR teams, if you are being contacted by a friendly hacker. Um, I highly recommend not bring it to legal team and being like, we gotta shut this down. Instead bring it to the security team for them to then follow up to see if this is actually something of a a potential vulnerability or not. I mean Absolutely. that's that's the only way we're gonna learn is is making sure that everyone is aware of security and good security practices. And one of those is from marketing to make sure whoever owns know your social media to be able to follow through and same with sales emails if you get anything from a hacker or secure researcher reaching out and be like hey i found this vulnerability mm-hmm. for that to the security team don't forward it to pr or marketing just forward it to security and they will take care of it yeah. if it's going to be a legal issue they will give it to legal trust me <laughs> they know this very well of when they need to get legal involved
0: absolutely I think, I mean, this is this is so important. Uh, I I can't emphasize, you know, make sure that you understand kind of what you're getting into and in, in the legal side. Um, you know, get, make sure you have a mentor uh, that can help you understand about you know what things are okay and what's not. Because even when I started off in my career, um, you know, I was lucky that I was surrounding myself with people that was doing this and didn't try it alone. And they definitely made sure that I stayed on the right side of. <laughs> so, uh, they made sure that I wasn't making mistakes, um, because when you make it, it, making one mistake, it can be devastating. Um, I just watched. I mean, I, I think um, you know the difference here. I, I just watched a great documentary today, which probably you know gives you a realization. Is to um, I watched Wingman, which was a documentary of the uh, uh, those who do the. Uh, the the you know the the wingsuits and they fly through the sky as about three kind of friends and it was all about that that when they make one mistake and that's you know it's such a extreme sport that you die and that's the difference about you know no, it's it's uh, that's it's, it's, it's if you make one mistake you die it over. The, it's game over so the, they have no room for mistakes in our industry as well is that if you make one mistake, you could get yourself into a legal situation or you could go to jail. And that's the difference is that, and that could be, you know, whole changing for not just your your career, but your life as well. Um, So always make sure that when you go into these situations that um, always make sure that you understand the scope and you triple check it.
1: And assume you you can get caught at all times. Always assume, assume. Yes. You can get caught at all we've times. Been, so you're not going to outsmart people. You're going to get caught. Just think that way and you will do good.
0: Yeah. I've, got, I've got some interesting stories from some of my relatives that, that do the physical side. Um, and it's so when I hear their stories, I'm just like, we usually have a glass of wine and just talking about it. It's really funny, uh, but scary at the same time. Um, when I listen to you know the Coal Fire and John, John Strands talks about how close they came, I, it's scary I'm, I'm glad that I'm not doing the physical security side <laughs> I'm glad that that's something that um, but I always assume you're gonna get caught always make sure you've got the get out of jail free card <laughs> and yeah. that's your protection and rights that's yeah. that's what you fundamentally and your get out of jail keep free card is how much you do the preparation homework before you actually start doing the work so make sure you actually you know make sure you do a thorough detailed check on everything. Um, I will say, I even don't just double check, but triple check everything.
1: Yeah. And, and be kind. Yes. Be kind when you communicate with I'm them, humble. don't <laughs> set it up as like, you're gonna pay me now. You're, yeah. you submitted a bug. It doesn't mean you're gonna get paid out. You might get kudos. You might get an offer. You might get a high five. <laughs> you might get a high five. Um, but don't assume you're gonna get paid by finding a vulnerability. So just be kind, yeah. be nice. And you'll be okay. The thing is, is that if you're communicating where it comes off as if you're demanding something or you're too aggressive, that's going to set you up for having a bad situation down the road. So be overly sweet, kind, and you'll be okay. But always think, keep a backup of everything.
0: Backup of everything, <laughs> absolutely. And I think that's very wise words to to end on this, um, because yeah, absolutely, it's it's so important to how you communicate is so critical so Chloe it's been awesome I think for all the hackers out there or the organizations law enforcement we need to work together more um, yes. as a community because we all have the same motives we all have the same intentions is to make the world a safer place so let's make sure that you know we you know hackers are able to use their skills for good and make you know help your organizations help the world. Um, and have, you know, good understanding of hacker rights. We we probably need to get good visibility in, into, you know, we've got a lot of good codes and, and codes of conduct, but, you know, I think we need to communicate this more and make sure I that mean, we help.
1: The last thing you want is all the security researchers in the world to go on strike for rights, <laughs> oh, because oh then Jesus. we're going to have a very scary place during that strike. So why not just make it a good, safe place for everyone and just start building those bridges and. And building those bridges even stronger, so Absolutely. they last for a lifetime.
0: Chloe, it's been awesome talking with you on this topic. Likewise. Um, and Thanks. I really enjoy it. It brings back a lot of memories over the different things. Some things I can talk about, some things are still like you know the NDA stuff. <laughs> you have to always be careful. Um, but it's been awesome. I think that the audience is going to get a lot of value from this session today and the podcast episode. So thank you again. It's been a pleasure. And for the world out there, you know, this is another episode of the 401 Access Denied podcast uh, with both your co-host today, Chloe and Joe. Um, it's been awesome. Stay safe. Um, you know, hack legally. Have fun. Uh, work together. Build bridges. Uh, all important messages. And tune in every two weeks for the 401 Access Denied podcast. Subscribe wherever we have the subscription button to make sure you get all the latest episodes and stay up to date. Take care. Stay safe. And again, thank you. Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cybrae for Business
1: by going to wwwsibraryit slash business. This podcast is also brought to you by Delinea. Dicotic and Centrify are now
0: Delinea, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit Delinea.com.